My Car Guru, episode 175. Boy, this year is flying by, and my grandkids are getting older. Just uh, had to take Ivy to the uh, kindergarten the other day, and I got to pick her up too. And when I pick her up, she knows what that means. We're probably going to uh, TCBY for, for some yogurt and uh, also to the Hobby Lobby. She really likes that place, and we always leave. You know, sometimes I leave about $15 light, sometimes a little bit more than that. Depends on what she discovers in there. But that's the fun of it, isn't it? I mean, of course, it's not all about buying them things, and I get it. I understand. We've been really getting into the Legos. I don't know if you've been um, to a toy store lately, but Legos ain't what they used to be. There was this one thing that I bought for her. It had 400 pieces, and it was a, um, I don't know, a little van that that was like a a camper van, and it had a trailer with a boat on it and um, a little boat dock and a picnic table, and we finally got all that together. But, you know, that kind of time, that's what I'm talking about. It's not about the Legos. It's about the time, right, the time that we invest in the ones that we love, and I want them to remember their pop-pop, so I'm doing the best I can. You know, speaking of uh, leaving an office or a business light, one of the things that the Federal Trade Commission is a little bit concerned about, apparently, is what happens in the finance office and also what happens with car dealer advertising. Uh, it would be nice if it was totally transparent. But it's not just car dealer advertising, doggone it. I mean, when you look at all these commercials that are on TV – All of them have fine print. You know, you listen to a radio commercial, and you're going to have all that gibberish at the end. You know, the fast fast talking where they're telling you, well, you know, what the large print giveth, the fine print taketh away. And um, But the FTC is zeroing in on car dealers. Uh, You know, it is a pretty high-dollar transaction. I don't doubt that at all. I see it. I mean, I just sold an F-150 for $75,000. It's a big deal. Uh, But what they're concerned about is not only, like I say, deceptive advertising on the front end, but what happens at the very end of a transaction, and that's in the finance office. You know, one of the things that they're concerned about is that uh, there's this issue of payment packing. I've talked about that on this radio show. It's something you really have to be on guard for when you're out buying a car. Because the typical car dealership and the typical car salesperson is trained to get you to focus on the monthly payment. Now, why does that matter? Well, you know, the monthly payment is the biggest deal usually to an individual. Can I afford this in my monthly budget, right? Well, if you're focused on that, you're not paying attention to the big picture, which is what you're actually paying for the car. And that's the big mistake that people make. And and I always recommend that... You do the math before you show up at the dealership so you know that if you buy a $30,000 car and you pay $2,000 down and you add taxes to it and you finance it for 72 months, then you know what your monthly payment's going to be or, you know, ballpark. And then you go into the dealership and you find a $30,000 car and then you, you know, you pay, the, you tell them how much money you're going to pay down and all of a sudden they come back and said, no, your payment's going to be $150 a month more than that. Well, guess what? They've got a lot of extras in there, and it's important that you know what those extras are, and it's not only important to me that you know, but it's very important to the the Federal Trade Commission that you know. 
And so what happens at the typical dealership is they close you on the monthly payment. You say, okay, I can afford four fifty a month, and then you go into the finance office and you realize that, uh, oh, by the way, Mr. Customer, this four fifty a month with this four fifty a month, you get a six year one hundred thousand mile warranty. You're protected if you know if you wreck the vehicle, the vehicle will be. Uh, if your insurance company doesn't pay for everything, then you've got gap insurance that will make up the difference. You also have this tire and wheel package and prepaid maintenance for three years of thirty six thousand miles. Well, what they just did is illegal, and um, you know, there's a lot of dealers that do it that way. They're safe if they quote you a base payment. So as you know, if you close on payment out in the uh, showroom. If you decide, okay, honey, we'll buy the car for four fifty a month. Well, that four fifty a month is not supposed to have anything in it except the selling price of the car minus the trade in. If you have a payoff, that's probably added into that. And then, uh, you know, it could have uh, sales tax, of course, licensing, title. You know, these are all uh, legitimate fees. And then the dealer should have disclosed up front that it includes whatever his processing fee is or dock fee. And remember. Doc fee doesn't really represent anything but additional profit to the dealership. It, it, it's just another source of revenue for a dealership. And, and those arose back when I first got into the business around in the late 70s. I remember we created a doc fee because Chevrolet just kept cutting our margins and our, our average profit per car was going down, down, down. And so my dad and sales managers and stuff said, well, let's charge people a, a documentary fee because other dealers are doing it. And what should we charge? Well, let's charge it. Let's try $25. Oh, you couldn't believe the pushback that we got. Well, what's that $25? You know, now it's, uh, you know, you look at most dealers, it's anywhere between 500 and $1,000. So it's important to know what that is, but that's supposed to be disclosed up front as well. So when you go into the finance office, then all you're looking at is, uh, the base payment, and then they start offering you these other products. Now, I'm not here to say that um, a lot of these products don't have value like a, a service contract. Let's just call it an extended warranty, uh, even though that's not what it is. It, it, it functions the same way. Uh, gap insurance. Maybe gap insurance is a good thing to have, but only if you are way upside down. In other words, you owe a lot more. You're going to be owing a lot more on the car than it's worth. Um, you know, you have what we call negative equity. Another thing we say is you're upside down. The worst um, thing to say about somebody who's upside down is that they're buried in their trade-in. You don't want to be buried. The reason you're buried is probably because you traded too often and didn't pay enough down and financed it for too long. Or somebody could have paid you not enough for your trade-in somewhere down the line, and you just keep carrying over these balances, and they keep going up and up. And then one day, uh, you go to a car dealership, and they say, well, ma'am, you can trade today, but we need $15,000 down. Why's that? I've never had to pay anything down. Well, because you're buried in your trade-in. If they said that, you probably wouldn't understand it. I'm not buried. What they'd really say is, you've got negative equity. And that's you've got you got to chew up some of that negative equity with cash, and then the bank will finance you. And then the, the customer leaves and goes shopping around until they find somebody that will finance it, some financial institution, you know, some dealer that's willing to fudge the numbers a little bit and lie to the financial institution, and and you end up getting financed, even when you shouldn't be. Um, 
you know, sometimes dealers will, um, now, again, these are the bandits that are out there, but they will fudge on your credit application. If you ever sign a credit application, make sure, listen, make sure that the income line is filled out, okay? If you tell them that you gross so much money per month, and that's what they want to know. They want to know what your gross earnings are per month. And if your wife is on the note, the same thing about her. Don't let them fudge that number. Um, you can get in trouble on that, too. I mean, it's important that that number is accurate. But what they do is they say, we just leave the income thing blank. Or the customers don't look at that. They just sign the, the credit app, just assuming that everything's on there. That's why I say it's so important to read that stuff. But anyway, uh, most people don't. And so you signed a credit app. And then they're going to put a number in there. Let's say your income is actually $4,500 a month, and they end up putting $6,500 a month in that in there. Why do they do that? It's because the bank looks at uh, a ratio called debt to income. So they want to see what your uh, debt ratio is to the amount of money that you make. And if it's good, if it's okay, even though you're way upside down, they'll probably finance it because they know that you can handle the payment based on the fudged number that the dealership created in there. So it's a very common practice. It does happen in this market area and across this country. Um, it doesn't happen at the dealerships that don't tolerate that kind of crap. But, you know, there's, there's bad people working in good dealerships because they're paid on a commission scale and they understand that the likelihood of them getting caught is negligible. And, um, what happens, though, is, is uh, one day the dealer gets a call from the financial institution to say, uh, Mr. Lawson, apparently you have some people working for you that are fudging people's incomes on, on their uh, credit applications, and also they're fudging on the uh, book value of the car that they're buying. Yeah, that's another thing. It's called power booking, and I'll talk about that here in just a second. So when the bank calls the dealer and says that, you know, your people are, are playing unfairly uh, with credit applications, we, uh, they'll tell you that they repossessed a car and they were actually looking at the options that you all said was on this car. Because, you know, they're loaning money based on the dealer's representation of what the customer is buying. So if you're buying an F-150 and, and it doesn't have a uh, moonroof, and the dealer puts on there that it does have a moonroof, then you know that means that that vehicle theoretically is worth more if you fail to pay for it. So if the bank had to repossess that vehicle, um, you know they're going to look at it and they're going to book that thing out. And they say, wait a minute, this this truck doesn't have a sunroof. That dealer said that it did. We've got the document here that he provided that said that it does. Would somebody do that? Absolutely, they do it. It's called power booking, and you won't see that that uh, appraisal sheet or that book sheet. You won't see that, but you will see your credit application. And if you see a negative number, you know when it looks up when the amount that you're financing is uh, greater than the purchase price of the car, then you you've got negative equity. You're, you're, I mean, and I've seen it. Some of the banks will actually finance 130% of book value. Now, why would they do that? Well, they've looked at your income and they feel all warm and fuzzy 
because you have adequate income to make the monthly payment, and you can pay your other debts as well. And um, they, they look at your credit history, make sure that you're a good, solid citizen. You know, you're not somebody that is late on, on all of their payments and not paying their bills. You're, as long as you're paying your bills, they'll stretch because they need loans. Now, does that change as economic times change? Absolutely. Uh, as things tighten up, the, instead of doing 120% of, of book value, they'll do 100%. I remember when they used to do 80%. You know that's what they used to do on home loans too. They'd do a, you know, an eighty percent loan on a on a mortgage. But as you know, the competition heats up, and all these big time outside banks come in, kind of puts a squeeze on the local lenders. You know, a lot of local banks, um, friendly hometown banks. You may have a relationship with somebody at a at a small, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a private bank, an independent bank. Not something like Bank of America or something like that. Somebody that's in your hometown, like Citizens First Bank and Trust of Greene County or something like that. Then you may have a relationship with them, but their their loan volume is primarily based on um, you know commercial loans and real estate loans, uh, stuff like that. They do very little auto lending because it's they can't compete. They can't compete with the rates that the big boys offer or even the credit unions. Now, the credit unions have stepped in and, and just dominated the auto industry. I guess the credit union's biggest competitor is probably the captives. And when I say captive, that would be like um, with Ford, it would be Ford Motor Credit. They're, they're a wholly owned subsidiary of Ford, and they finance cars for people. Um, General, let's see, General Motors uses a, a bank called Ally. And um, they, uh, that's their captive. And then I think, you know, Toyota Motor Credit, Nissan Motor Credit. So sometimes they are competitive. But, you know, a lot of these credit unions have stepped up to the plate and, you know, they just really embrace the car business. And they're willing to step up, and, and especially with somebody with good credit. Now, we talked, had a show a couple days ago about talking about credit and how people abuse their, their privileges and end up, you know, being late on everything and, and you know, biting off more than they can chew and have a lot of credit card debt and stuff, they're not going to get 130% of book. And another thing you have to be concerned about is all these add-ons that the bank, that the uh, dealership is going to add on when you say, yeah, I want an extended warranty or a service contract. Yeah, I want prepaid maintenance. I want this uh, mop and slop package that you're selling. I want gap insurance. You know, if you add all those up, you're looking around – I mean, it could be twenty five hundred to six, seven, eight thousand dollars worth of add-ons, and you're looking at that, and but you're not looking at it from the standpoint of the total cost, and you really haven't had time to think about. It. You know, you're really excited, you just committed to buy a car, you're in the finance office, you're supposed to be doing the paperwork, and then this really nice guy with really nice smelling cologne and beautiful pictures of his family is offering you all this this stuff. And uh, you just, oh, oh, yeah, okay, fine, yeah. Oh, oh, that covers everything? Sure, sure, okay. So how much will it raise my payment? Oh, only $32 a month, honey. Can we handle $32 extra? Oh, yeah, that, so that will protect us, right? Right. Wrong. In some cases, it will. Do you need to buy an extended warranty? You know, how often do you trade? You buying a new car? Trade every three years? What the heck do you need an extended warranty for? Because it doesn't even kick in until after the manufacturer's warranty runs out. Um, do you need gap insurance? 
Well, as high as used car values are right now, and or used car, really used anything, SUVs and tru- trucks especially, uh, do you really need gap insurance? How much is that again? Uh, prepaid maintenance, you know, that's okay. It's, you know, it's, um, make sure that if you're buying prepaid maintenance from a dealer, make sure that you're going to get it serviced at that dealer because if you, you know, buy it and you live in one town and, and the dealer is in another town, you may take it to your local Chevrolet dealer to get it serviced and he doesn't honor that uh, prepaid maintenance plan. He would if you had bought it through General Motors. But you didn't. You bought it from this other dealer. Also, make sure about the extended warranty, their service contract. Is it a factory warranty or is it an aftermarket warranty? Now, a lot of after, aftermarket warranties are just fine. You know, it's just that, you know, when you have a claim, that's the true test of a warranty, isn't it? Um, you know, if you have an issue, are they going to cover it? And what kind of coverage do you have? See, all these decisions, okay, you spent five days... Well, let's say you spent a month researching buying a car. You spent four or five days shopping around online. You finally go into the dealership. You test drive it. You're all hot and sweaty and you're tired and you're ready to buy the car. And, you know, they hit your number and then you go into the finance office and you spend a bunch of money out there on the sales floor. And then you come into the finance office and you're just, you're not mentally attuned to what's going on in there. And, you know, again, most dealerships are going to do it the right way. They're going to present the numbers. They're going to present a menu. And you can pick and choose what you want. That's what we do at my dealerships. You know, we let people look at a menu. We tell them what their base payment is with nothing. And then if you want these extra benefits, then this is what it will cost. And they say, oh, okay, well, I don't want any of that. Or they may say, well, can you get that? And, of course, a la carte, you know, you can pick and choose what you want on the menu. Maybe you just needed an extended service contract because you're going to keep the car. Maybe it's for your daughter, and she's going to keep the car for, you know, probably 10 years, and you want her to be protected, you know, when she's going off to college or something like that. That makes perfectly good sense as long as you're not overpaying for the warranty, which, you know, it's easy to do if you don't have some kind of a concept of what these things should cost. And, you know, when you have an issue like that, just give me a call. I, I know I'm, I'm a Ford Nissan dealer, but I can help you. Uh, I can help you uh, figure out whether they're asking too much for a service contract. I can tell you what, what you should be paying for it. Uh, because, you know, you're talking about several thousand dollars. Now, when you, go, when you and your wife go to a big furniture store and you spend several thousand dollars on furniture, uh, you both know what you're getting, right? You're getting a nice big chair and a couch and tables and stuff like that. You can see it, and you can evaluate the value of that because it's right there, and you know you're going to be sitting on it and enjoying it. That's a little bit harder with a warranty product or an insurance product. You know, you don't know its value until you need it. And if you never need it, you just throw your money away. So it's worth considering. Uh, Again, you can get to me, LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. It's L-E-N-N-I-E. L-A-W-S-O-N 2020 at gmail.com, or you can text me at 423-552-2020, and I'll be glad to help you out. All right, I'm going to take my last break and be back here in just a minute. I don't know about some of these other dealers, but I've always been a little, I don't know, concerned uh, about anytime somebody knocks on your door, comes in your business, says, yes, I'm from the government, and I want to see your records. Now, I don't have anything to hide, but, you know, sometimes they find stuff, and you have to explain things. Uh, dealers get audited a lot when it comes to the manufacturer. They want to make sure that we're 
um, you know, handling their rebate programs correctly, because if we don't, they'll charge them back to us. Uh, they also audit us for warranty uh, compliance. If we don't have the uh, right documentation in place, you know, if we have a $1,500 repair and we didn't have the right documentation, they'll charge it back to us. We get to eat that repair. So there's all kinds of things, but now when the FTC or somebody like that comes in, the IRS, it's going to make you nervous because they they are paid to find something. The FTC came up with a used car guide, I don't know, probably 30, 40 years ago. You've seen the stickers in every used car. It's uh, It says, as is, no warranty, or sold with warranty. I, don't, I can't remember exactly. They changed the wording on them a couple years ago, but you know we could get fined. For every single one we didn't have in a used car when we traded for it, if we showed that car to an FTC agent, the fine was $15,000 per occurrence. So you show them, you know, four cars, it's forty-five grand if it doesn't have the FTC step. That's ridiculous. If I'm a consumer, I know to ask, does this vehicle have a warranty or not? You know, if it has a remaining factory warranty, then that's something for me to uh, consider, Right. But still, I want to call the dealer. If I'm, not, if I'm buying a Chevrolet from a Ford dealer, I want to call the dealer and find out what the warranty history is. That's one of the tips I always give on this radio show. Don't just pull a Carfax or an auto check. P- call the dealership that sells that vehicle and have them pull the warranty history. You may be buying a lemon. You may be buying a car that was a problem car. And um, even though it's you know, still under the factory warranty. Would you want that? Would you want something that's, that's spent a large part of its life in the shop? I wouldn't. So, you know, you just have to check that. And that's another thing. You know, if you buy a car at a car dealership and you are tired and, you know, you can sign the paperwork, say, listen, I, I'm, I tell you what, we're, we're going to take this car. We'll leave you a deposit. And, um, but I'm not going to finalize this transaction until tomorrow. And all the, the pressure will come to bear. But, you know, if it really does, then you need to just go home because you really do need to go home and think about it. I, ju- I just think that it's a, uh, it's a mistake that a lot of people make is rushing, especially at the end of the transaction when they're vulnerable. And those people know it. Those crooks, they know it. Uh, they know that, that you are less likely to push back once you get into the finance office, because you think you're all done, and you might spend another hour in there, and uh, those guys are good and gals. Not again. I'm not calling all of them crooks because they're not. Most of them are good, legitimate people who use a menu, who disclose everything, who are very careful to dot their eyes and cross their t's because they can go to jail if they do it wrong. But I'm telling you, does jail deter a lot of criminals? It deters some, but it, it doesn't deter all of them. And so you have to watch out for yourself. Very important. Okay, well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I will see you again tomorrow.